Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Dr. Isabel Pefianco-Martin, who is a professor in the Department of English at Ateneo de Manila University. Very nice to speak to you today, Doctor. Hello, hello. Hi, Chris. Nice to speak to you today. So the paper we're going to be speaking about is a World Englishes paper from 2014, Philippine English Revisited. If I could just ask you at the, at the very beginning, and I mean, at the very beginning of your paper in the introduction, you talk about Catru's three circles model. So to, to get started early, Catru's three circles model is often used in sociolinguistic papers and in other papers as a kind of linguistic shorthand. It's something that many people, even in applied linguistics, know about. Um, you know, could you explain how parts of it perhaps might not be as applicable today as they were back in the 1980s, uh, specifically in relation to Philippine English? Yes, yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank you for that question, Chris. I, uh, I have to begin by saying that I'm a, I'm a big fan of Braj Kachu. And when he um, came to the Philippines in the mid-1990s to give a lecture on English as an Asian language, I was at that time a young scholar. I was really uh, very excited about the idea of the three circles. And so I got hooked no, into uh, world Englishes. And from that time on, sort of like, um, followed you know, the conferences you know, of the uh, International Association for World Englishes. And so um, uh, we would be exposed to these, uh, the concentric circles you know, of Katri. Everybody knows what that means. Uh, except that I realized at some point that you know, the, the circles are not a neat fix to the context of English in the Philippines uh, because well, the Philippines is, is not really just second language SLA, you know, I mean, ESL, ESL type mm -hmm. of context. I, I am a, I'm a teacher trainer. So I, I sort of like, you know, uh, move around the country to train English teachers. And you would see that the, the proficiency in English, the, uh, the acceptability of, of uh, the models of English are, are very varied. So I thought that maybe it wouldn't work to really look at the Philippines from the point of view of the outer circle alone. So with that in mind, I thought that maybe it would be good for uh, scholars. Uh, the, the, the paper was actually directed to scholars of Philippine English who always presented Philippine English as outer circle. So I thought that wasn't really very accurate because we also have uh, you know, the version of inner circle in the Philippines, like Filipinos who actually grow up with English as their mother tongue. And we also have Filipinos who, whose use of English is, is very EFL-like. So I thought that, you know, there was might be something about the circle that might not totally reflect uh, Philippine English reality. So I kind of like uh, did my RRL, you know, the, usually what we do, read around the topic and found that there are some scholars who look at the concentric circles as not really absolute in terms of boundaries, okay? And that uh, there's a term that was used, it's sort of like the, 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 the boundaries are bleeding. Mm. You'd, have, uh, you, you'd have countries like Nigeria, for example, where they won't really, similar to the Philippines, it's not really quite outer circle. So I thought of working on this paper so that um, Philippine uh, scholars of English would have a more nuanced, no, I suppose that's the term, a more mm. nuanced approach uh, looking at English uh, in the Philippines. 
It's interesting because the one time that I've been to the Philippines, I went to Cebu in, I think it was about 2000 and no, I know exactly when it was because it was when my son was born. So it was in 2010. And uh, one of the questions that was asked to the plenary speakers was about this idea of peoples within a country moving between circles. So being within the Philippines, which is considered to be an outer circle country, the, the three circles being the inner circle of like the, the donor countries, about five countries that are considered to be first language users, and then the outer circle who are post-colonial countries, and then the expanding circle being everybody else. The plenary speaker on stage who, who was from the Philippines was talking about this point that we shouldn't just look at it as being a geographical location, but the people mm -hmm. uh, being able to move between them and that these these mm -hmm. shouldn't be uh, hard barriers. You bring up the country of Nigeria, and it's a, a, mm -hmm. a, an interesting case because uh, it's a country that is, again, post-colonial, but uses uh, English as one of their official languages. Could you give some background, like the historical background, to the use of English in the Philippines to some of our listeners mm -hmm. who, who don't know perhaps the context of why English is used in, in your country? Right, that's right. English arrived in the Philippines with the uh, American occupation in the uh, late 1800s, so 1898, and then in 1901, as soon as the Americans arrived, it was believed that the, the soldiers who came to the Philippines became English teachers. Okay, so and then in 1901, um, the public school system was established in the Philippines. And um, we have to understand that before the Americans arrived, uh, we had 300 years of Spanish colonial rule. So that was really a big difference because the Spanish colonizers didn't really introduce education in a widespread way you know, compared to the Americas. In fact, uh, the joke is that uh, Philippine uh, history is really 300 years in the convent and 50 years of Hollywood. <laughs> so so that, but that 50 years of Hollywood with the Americans, that really, that really made English um, very strong in the Philippines because it came with education when previous to that previous to that only the rich were educated the women had to go to the convent the men the rich men could go to europe but largely you know a large population of the filipinos really had no access to schooling when the americans arrived they brought english and education so you can imagine you know, the impact of, of that on us and english was embraced uh, by the Filipinos, and it spread so very rapidly. Mm. I mean, a very fast pace. And that the, the Filipinos were even um, said to be like little brown Americans because the way that the Filipinos spoke was very native-like at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's the kind of like you know, uh, those are the roots no, of English in the Philippines. And of course, eventually, you know, if we're all familiar with the the, the dynamic model of Schneider. Now, eventually, as in any language, this will evolve. Okay? The language, no, the English language, comes into contact with uh, over 100 other Philippine languages, and it cannot remain the same. It cannot be the same English that the Americans brought with them. So the, the idea of varieties really is something that's axiomatic, almost self-evident, but English teachers, at least in the Philippines, and I think in many parts of the world, still see the language as fixed, you know, unchanging, and forever in that same uh, set of grammatical rules. And I think that has become a problem because it doesn't really help in making, English, in making the Filipinos uh, use English better. 
Well, uh, that you, mindset is still there. Sorry. No, no, no. And, and, and you bring up uh, someone who I quote a lot of times in my, in my work, uh, uh, Edgar Schneider's 2007 yes. dynamic model of English in that, that language is essentially designed to change. Like we should expect that language will change over time, depending on you know, who it contacts and uh, who is using it. Let, let's compare Spanish and English in the Philippine context, because Spanish has uh, their own academy of, uh, of what is or is not Spanish, but English has never set up this, these kind of parameters of that the language can't develop beyond that. It, it's probably why the language has more words in its lexicon than any language languages really in the history of the world. Do you think that English was something that has... Uh, helped, you know, Philippine society develop contact with uh, people outside of the Philippines and this kind of development because there, there were no boundaries for how it could be used. So a Philippine variety of English could develop quite organically, whereas Philippine variety of Spanish couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, that, that's a very interesting question because we do have a Philippine variety of Spanish in Mindanao. It's called Chabacano, mm -hmm. but that, 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 doesn't really connect them with you know with the Spanish speaking world, but English does. No, I think it's also the nature of English as a global language uh, compared to, to Spanish. There, if I'm not mistaken, there are, uh, in terms of number of second language users of, of 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 any language, I think it's English. That's number one. I believe so. Yeah, compared to the other uh, languages, so. Uh, it's also the nature of English and what it has become as an institution, I suppose. No, and um, uh, and so comparing it to Spanish, uh, at least from the Philippine context, it, it's not it's not going to work because the Filipinos were not taught Spanish as well. Actually, uh, at the time uh, of the uh, Spanish uh, the colonial period, Spanish was kind of like the the language of God. No? So only the elite mm. um, were kind of like uh, encouraged to, to learn that. And then the Filipinos were just remained in their own native uh, 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 Philippine language. Spanish wasn't really widespread mm. in the Philippines. Imagine we had 300 years of Spanish rule, but it was what, what happened was the Spaniards learned the Philippine languages. Most of them were uh, priests anyway. It's kind of like that's part of their was um, um, proselytizing. Mm. Uh, but it was different with the Americans because they really kind of like gave English, you know, mm. and made it made it a tool uh, for education. So it, it it's it's not uh, comparing Spanish and English. Then uh, it, it will really have to be English in the way it was introduced mm. to us. It's very. It was very interesting for me to go to uh, Cebu. I mean, the first thing that I, when I had a, some free time, I went downtown and uh, I went to the church. I, I uh, attended mass, and it was interesting to to see it and 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 talk about it with people who I'd never met before. But the congregation were very happy to speak with someone who they'd never met before in English, and, and I had a, a very positive communicative uh, experience in, in downtown Cebu the one time that I was there. To go into your paper, which is called uh, Philippine English Revisited, you speak about yeah. the, the possibility of variety such as Philippine English containing what you termed a, a pan-Asian diction. So the way that English has been incorporated into Asian societies is something that can give uh, models of a competent, confident 
user of English. And this is something that I try to encourage my students to use it, as you say, as a tool. Could you give us some examples of people who you feel provide these kind of role models of using an Asian variety of English? I think the paper was written in 2014. So I I must have used the example of Rico Hizon. He Mm -hmm. was a, a BBC anchor. Uh, but Rico has since um, retired, so he's back in the Philippines. He was a, an anchor for, for the BBC, um, and he, he had that diction that was, I suppose, accessible to most Asians. No? The, the idea of a pan-Asian diction, I think what I meant there was that unlike so-called native speakers of English, mm-hmm. where uh, the pronunciation is stress timed. The Filipinos, at least, no, uh, is more is more uh, syllable time. So each syllable, no, has an mm. equal stress. So, for example, we would say secretary instead of secretary. Mm-hmm. Okay, we would say military, military instead of military. No, so in that sense, I believe that it's it's a it's an Asian it's an Asian it's an Asian diction. But I'm not an expert on that. I think the best person to ask about that would be Andy Kirkpatrick, who mm. does a lot of work, no, in uh, mm. Asian Asian Englishes. So we haven't interviewed him. Maybe he's another person to talk to. <laughs> he's t- certainly is someone who who I would very much like to talk to. And I I I, I spoke recently to one of uh, David uh, Detterding's students. Oh, yes. She was talking about the common traits among certain Asian varieties of English. And, and I, I, I use Asian varieties of English as a grouping, not as a pejorative. It, and I, I like yeah. to think of all varieties of English as, as being equally on a client. So there's a British variety, and a, a US variety, a Philippine variety, a Japanese variety, a Chinese variety. I'd like to ask you about specifically this point because uh, in your paper you speak about when people use things like wrong English or funny grammar and uh, this is something that I came across in my doctoral research when I was working at an international university where Asian students would very readily speak about other varieties of English that they'd encountered usually from other Asian users in fairly pejorative terms and I wouldn't know how to counter it in the moment. So if you if you hear these kind of terms from people about Asian varieties of English, how do you address that? No, I've struggled it. I've struggled that. Um, you know, um, there was a time uh, after I presented at a, at a conference, I can't remember now, um, one of the native speakers came up to me and said, you know, you, your English is really good. Where did you go to school? And then so I said, you know, I said it in Manila. We speak English in the Philippines, so I don't know if he got it, but but I suppose or, or somebody would. And this is another person, and in a conference in Cebu, uh, going to one of the I think one of the Russian speakers saying something like, you know, uh, can you speak more slowly because I cannot understand your accent. Um, so I think the Russian speaker said something like, well, we all have accents. Mm. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a way by which um, you can not really counter, but I suppose gently educate some people about language variation, about the natural behavior of language, and that actually all languages are perfect no, in their mm. own context of use. There's no such thing as an inferior language. 
So I, I'm not I'm not really the type to to snap to snap at people and say ah oh, you know you know why don't you why don't you come to my three unit PhD class to learn more about about English and how it behaves. Uh, but I just kind of like gently you know say that well you know we all have accents and I studied in Manila and we speak English there. <laughs> mm. I, I suppose it, it's very difficult actually, but I'm not one to snap easily so. <laughs> Well, it, it's something that I, the reason why World English is, you know, really spoke to me when I was doing my um, first undergraduate degree was because I had to change the way that I spoke from my regional dialect in England, in the north of England, to when I went to university. And I was told, you will never, you know, do well in your profession. I was at law school at the oh, time, wow. if you if you speak in that way. So the way that I speak now is not the way that I spoke 25 years ago. And, and you know, accents get smoothed out through you yes, know being an English language teacher and things like that. But uh, I was once asked when I went back to England about ten years ago. I visited another university, and they asked me, "Where did you go to school?" Oh. And and I said, uh, uh, "Oh, um, do you mean do you mean high school in Sheffield?" And he's like, "No, no, no. no. <laughs> Where did you go to school? How did you learn to speak like that?" And I said, "Well, this is just something that has yeah. come over time. So it even within." what we would you know term like first language use contexts um there's yeah. still this kind of issue of accent and variety so uh, it world english is something that that spoke to me is something that we we want to make it as you say uh like a, like a tool yes. this paper was published in 2014 and i assume that you submitted it in maybe 2013 2012ish given how long it takes to get through the yes. process of things so <laughs> we're talking right. about work that you did about 10 years ago at this point. How has your work, your thinking, your teaching developed, uh, you know, over these last 10 years based on the principles that you outline in the paper? Thank you for that question, actually, because it makes me kind of like reflect on what I've, I've been doing uh, in these years. Since that paper, I have become more deliberate in working on uh, areas that are what I would consider <clears throat> as neglected in uh, in scholarship and Philippine Englishes. So um, what I have been doing, well, the, the, the paper, that paper is very useful to my students uh, working on their dissertation. So uh, what, uh, what happened was that um, many of my students began to look at each of those circles, you know, the, the, the three circles of English in the Philippines. And then they would uh, they would uh, collect data about the the forms you know, for each of the three circles in the Philippines. So that's one one value of that paper. But but for me, it's I decided to be more deliberate and to focus on the I suppose the the varieties. It's really more the varieties. Just just to drive home the point that English in the Philippines is not is not fixed. No, uh, it, it cannot. It's standardized. It's not standard. Mm. Okay. Um, so what I've been working on lately, the last few papers have been on what I would call Pinoyish. Pinoy is a Filipino, kind of like a slang term for the Filipino Pinoy. So instead of calling the English as Philippine English, which tends to be uh, associated with the educated variety, I use the term Pinoyish, uh, with, which hope, hoping that uh, the term would capture the non-educated use of English in the Philippines because that's a lot. Uh, there's really a lot. For example, gay speak. We have a very, very, very vibrant 
uh, gay gay speak uh, a, a vibrant gay community with a very interesting uh, language in the Philippines that that's one group and then uh, there is the term uh, there's even the term jejemon which means uh, the language used by the um, Filipinos in the lower income bracket uh, but then there's a lot of English there as well and then the notion, the idea of switching, you know, that that the translingual practice too, and lots of English embedded there in translingual practice. So, so I I've been working on on um I suppose raising awareness on the 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 vibrancy of English language use in the Philippines by documenting those that are in the periphery, I suppose. Mm. in the periphery so that's one the other the other one is and i just finished uh work with with a former student of mine who's actually a professor in uh, nigata right now uh it's called philippine english uh englishes in the philippines and beyond or englishes within and beyond the philippines uh, that work attempts also to look at the english outside of the philippines because we do have a lot of contract workers mm. Uh, we, we we do have a lot. Uh, in fact, that's a very very major uh, a major area in the Philippines. Uh, it's almost like we're exporting our own labor. So outside the Philippines, there are so many Filipinos, and the English that they use outside the Philippines because they get into contact, you know, with other uh, people, is also something that is exciting to me. So that one is a, a work in progress. So I, I hope to move forward there uh, with my with my colleague. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to ask you about the, the concept that you just brought up there in, in terms of like code switching, because uh, in Japan, Japan's a very monolingual country, <clears throat> of course, using Japanese, and they have chosen English as being the language that they would like to globalize their economy so through teaching uh, english as a, as a basic skill through uh, from elementary school all the way through uh, university the japanese tend to want to mimic or only use a certain variety of english for mm. example like mm -hmm. american english but i think having a a, a confident use of, of of code switching to be able to use the most uh, context specific vocabulary so if they're speaking with uh, an american or a, or a philippine or a korean business person in Japan, they should be able to use certain terms to make their point as clearly as possible. Do you do any work with your students on that point of code switching? So using English as the frame, but also Pinoy uh, English to uh, yes. make it specific to the Philippines. Could you tell us something about that? Um, in the, I think I had um, work done before 2014, before this paper on uh, code switching practices of uh, science uh, teachers. Actually, the, the I think the point of, of that, that paper was really a resistance to English-only policy in the Philippines. It, it, it's an early work. But since that time, I, I see the, 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 the meshing of, of languages now in, in the terms of translingual practice mm. more, than, more than code switching. Uh, I, I know that it's it's a it's confusing you know it, to think of code switching and translanguaging if they're the same or different there's lots of debates on that and i've been in conferences where people would argue about you know 
you, you have a speaker talking about translingual practice and someone comes up and says, oh, you're talking about code switching. It's the same as before. It's the same, but it's also different in, in approach in that for translingual practice, it's more it's a more fluid shuttling you know, between codes. And mm. I, I suppose I'm using the term that Kanagaraja is uh, using here of the, the shuttling you know, between codes. So, so to answer your question, the work we've been doing now is really more on translanguaging or translingual practice rather than code switching because the Filipinos seem to be natural translinguals. And the switching is not just between two languages. You know, it can be three, four, or more. Mm -hmm. And it's so natural and smooth. It is believed that uh, a Filipino can handle at least three languages no, at the same time. Filipinos are, such, are multilinguals, but also very, very good translinguals. And it's also because the linguistic diversity index in the country is quite high. Mm. So uh, I, I would often tell my students there's a, to make a distinction between multilingualism, where you count the number of languages, right? And linguistic diversity, mm. where the languages that you count actually come into contact. Right. For the Philippines, that's why they say the Philippines is a linguist's uh, paradise. It's high in multilingualism and high in linguistic diversity. So the translingual uh, practice that, that goes on is so exciting, actually. I, I can share with you one paper that I just uh, wrote about. Um, this, this person is a, a film critic. She's a film critic. And you know how film critics are, you know, highbrow kind of people. Right. But right. he switches from gay, gay language to formal Filipino, to uh, informal Filipino or Tagalog, to uh, slang, English slang, to highbrow English. I mean, the, the dynamic, you know, uh, use of language is so exciting to me. I think I feel like I must be a weirdo from from other people's <laughs> point of view. No, I've, I've I've always I've always viewed since getting into world Englishes and this being my research focus for the last twenty years, I've, I've really enjoyed this this idea and like translanguaging when it when it uh, about five years ago when papers were, were were starting to really take up this concept, it was something that was clearly the future direction of English. So just code switching is not enough. So like going from one language yeah. to another uh, yeah. in context, as you say, that the meshing of, of various languages. Can I ask you a little bit about the about translingual practice in the Philippines as relates to non-linguistic practice? So uh, we recently had uh, uh, an interviewee who spoke about the importance of gesture or the importance of body language or the importance of things, you know, as, as, as basic as eye contact. Like when trans language, do the Filipinos change the way that they use non-linguistic cues or is this something that they, that they also alter? I'm not, I, I haven't really looked into that specific concern of the non-linguistic use in the gestures okay uh, what, what, what would you say that uh, uh, in in the philippines do people are they uh, physically expressive while speaking is this something oh. that they use to get their message across well, filipinos are so physically expressive for i think by nature we're noisy a noisy bunch <laughs> always, you know, always laughing and giggling, and you hear that in the airplane. If you get into a plane and there's a Filipino group, there's always some giggling that you would hear. But to respond to your question, uh, um, I, I, I did, uh, uh, I did uh, write something about the not not the physical uh, non-linguistic uh, codes, but the 
the non the non-linguistic codes of the millennials now when they text for example when they send a text message there is translingual practice that there's translanguaging that happens in text messages especially now that you know smartphones can send i'm sure you know that in japan they have all of these uh emoticons these emojis and then uh you can send gifts no gifs mm, i think mm. gifs my students when they talk to each other on facebook they have all of these you know they, they didn't look like language mm. but i kind <laughs> of like somehow figured out that they were saying something uh i think that's part of uh translanguaging is not not just looking at the linguistic codes but the non-linguistic codes as well which is uh, more readily available because of technology mm. Mm. Well, let's go into some specifics uh, of the paper. And and also, again, we're talking about something that, that you were looking into about 10 years ago. So I, I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts about how these things have changed. And you point out the idea of words that are commonplace and acceptable and ones that have high status and low status. Would you say that people in the Philippines who have, I mean, you've mentioned that most people in the Philippines are, are comfortable in perhaps three languages. Do you think that people in the Philippines who, who don't have access to these various languages are, are shut out of various parts of, of society if they can't do this kind of translanguaging activity? Right, right. I think I have to contextualize that statement about the Filipinos being comfortable in, you know, shuttling. Um, the context there is always informal. Uh, there are there still are expectations in, for example, in uh, the legal domain. It's still English only in in schools. Uh, even if uh, the linguists in the Philippines really push for non-English only uh, practices, you'd still have schools that would kick out students, you know, because they use their mother tongues on campus. We'd, we'd, we'd still have that. In, in, in the more informal everyday use, I suppose, the everydayness, no? the everydayness of English, that, that's where you will find the, the uh, translanguaging. The more informal, I would suppose, I suppose it's a theory, the more informal, the more that the translanguaging uh, happens because the, 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 the user of the language is a more, in a more relaxed state, You're not too conscious about, uh, about context. But if you're in a classroom, the expectation is still formal. Uh, if you are in, in, uh, in business correspondence, it's still formal. In email, it's still formal. In the legal domain, it's always formal. That's what, what, that's what I meant by, um, even if I say that the Filipinos are natural uh, translinguals, there still are some areas where it's not you know, totally acceptable. You know, this is one of the complaints about English generally in places that used to be termed the, the outer circle. And so we've, we've discussed about how that might not be as relevant today as, as it was. But how much of a gatekeeping role does English play in, in uh, areas such as education, uh, the law, yes. politics? Is this still an issue? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I like the term gatekeeping because that's what it does. It's really gatekeeping. There's also an article that I wrote about myths, misbeliefs about English in the Philippines. Hmm. Uh, I think that's also some time ago. And um, 
one myth there that still remains uh, very, very strong in, in, the, in the field is the idea that American English is the only correct English. Mm. Mm. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, still, that's still out there. You, you would see that in how the teachers, you know, uh, the grammar, the grammar terrorists, they call them, uh, <laughs> would, would, uh, would, would mark students or fail students for you know, grammar errors, which are, you mm. know, to me, negligible. Uh, as long as the student is able to uh, substantially address a task. You know, grammar errors are, to me, negligible. So you, you still have that mindset. There's also mm. the, the, the belief that English is the, only, is, the, is the only language that makes knowledge accessible because mm. understandably many of the books are in English. But it's a myth because uh, the Filipino language is quite highly intellectualized too. And mm. that it does provide a lot of information too. So, so that's one myth. And the other myth, of course, is that if you the idea that if you, you're not good in English, you're not gonna get a good job. You know, I think that's that's very true anywhere. It's it's true in Japan. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not sure if it's true in Japan, but in most in most parts of the world that the uh, you need to get a very high score in TOEIC, you know, because hoping that you really get a good, you know, white collar job because you can. You can speak English. And then the other myth or misbelief that I wrote about is the idea that English and Filipino are in conflict or in opposition with each other when they're really just languages. It's like if you learn English, no, if you're good in English, then you, you can't be good in Filipino. If you're good in Filipino, you can't be good in English. Why can't you be good in all languages? You know, available in the Philippines. So these are English still has a very high prestige status in the Philippines. So that if you're not really good in that, you may find yourself in a situation that you will be embarrassed or you'll be put down, you know, or not get a or not get a job. You know? it, it still it still has that that position in, in the Philippines. I don't know if if uh, English and, and I, I don't know if it will, but in, in Japan, it still hasn't reached quite that level. But yes, the scores in, in standardized tests are something that still is, is, is connected to your ability perhaps to get a promotion or to enter yeah. a, a, a certain uh, group of people. Very recently, and you bring up in your paper like 10 years ago, but uh, the boxer, uh, Mani Pacquiao, uh, has mm. recently <laughs> retired from yes. boxing and uh, is going to run for president, he says. How do you think that uh, famous celebrities, uh, certainly world-renowned people like Manny Pacquiao, have presented positively Philippine variety of English on the world stage? And do you think that this uh, is, is a trend that, that might continue? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of difficult to, to, <laughs> to respond to, especially since elections are coming up soon. <laughs> I suppose when if I wrote about Manny Pacquiao at that time, it was because I saw him as a kind of role model for Filipinos who were not very confident about their English. Mm -hmm. And he remains, he remains to be uh, that kind of person who'd really push himself, mm. you know, push himself. And now actually you listen to him, his, his English is good. Mm. You know? I mean, yeah, I mean, not great, you know, but, 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 you know, good enough for him to, do his work as a senator he, he he's a senator right now well I, um, I i bring him up because he is is such a celebrity on the world stage yeah. particularly in in america that if you say who is the most famous yes. uh filipino that, that you know it would be manny pacquiao and so his 
status as a popular person and also his ability to communicate you know with his trainers on 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 television and and things like that mean that it's obvious that people who use english in the philippines can gain a, a, yeah. a, a level of control that that even even americans can understand them <laughs> so, and i don't mean that pejoratively towards americans but it just when i spoke to dr jennifer jenkins she spoke about um people from the uk and the us being aggressively monolingual and viewing other varieties of english as being very foreign but i think that uh, celebrities like manny pacquiao are, are like bridging that uh, that divide, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. There's something about him. I think it's his confidence. If if anything, that is what he has mm. confidence. And uh, I think you can link confidence too with uh, you know, with English proficiency. And so if you're confident about making mistakes, I mean, if you're right. if you don't mind making mistakes, you know, uh, if you don't mind, like it's like riding a bicycle. If you don't mind falling, uh, then you're gonna learn. Mm. And I've seen him, I've seen his English really, you know, improve from when he started play uh, boxing mm -hmm. to to his uh, to his position now as senator of the republic, uh, and and that's because he had confidence. So in that sense, from the point of view of English, no, only from the point of view of English, <laughs> he would be a he would be a good role model for. Filipinos who well Manny Pacquiao did not finish elementary schooling so it, you can imagine you know, what he represents to people Filipinos who have not reached uh, who have not completed elementary education and what English means to them mm. so yes he could be he certainly could be a role model in that sense no, for English language use mm. Well, to, just to go back to the three circles model and then to, to go to the end of your paper where you spoke about the idea that the basis for this paper and sorry, the basis for the paper was to present a more nuanced idea mm -hmm. of what it was to use and uh, speak Philippine English uh, within the, the kind of the Catruvian three circles model. But to take a look at the other titles that were included in that paper in 1985 that it wasn't just inner circle outer circle and expanding circle but norm providing norm developing and yeah. norm dependent mm -hmm. how much could philippine english be a norm providing variety mm -hmm. to other asian countries use of english i'm not really sure about um how it Philippine English could be norm providing in Asia, but it certainly isn't just norm developing. It could be on its way to norm providing. So if you follow the phases, you know, of, of uh, the, 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 the dynamic model, no, it has already reached that uh, stage of differentiation. Mm. I think I think Philippine, and I've all I've heard this a lot you know, from other from non-Filipinos in Asia, the Filipino accent seems to be the most neutral. I say mm. neutral in scare quotes, no? In <laughs> in Asia, in Asia. So I that could be that could be one norm, you know. Uh, the the accent it's it's not like we cohesion, for example. It's clear, okay. It's clear. It's it's not American. It's not it's not Australian. Mm. Not Singaporean, okay. Uh, but it seems to be more accessible to a wider you know, a wider group of people rather than some variety. I'm not sure. It's just a 
it's just um it's it's anecdotal i don't have research on that but i think that could be one area in uh, when you talk about uh, norm providing but also lexicon mm. the Philipp philippine english agalog words no Uh, are now considered Philippine English and are in fact included in the Oxford Dictionary of English. Mm -hmm. And I think something like every every few years we add 50 words. The Philippines adds 50 words uh, in that dictionary, which makes it English. It actually drives Filipinos nuts when they hear that you know that word. You don't have to italicize it anymore because it's not Tagalog. It's actually English. Could you give uh, some uh, uh, like, uh, some examples from Tagalog? Uh, There's the term presidential. Mm -hmm. Presidential. Uh, it, it it means somebody who, of course, if you have presidential, you have senatorial, meaning somebody who is president material or senator material. Mm. There's also the 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 the, the term uh, dirty kitchen. This is very interesting. Dirty kitchen. Um, it, not that the kitchen is dirty, but that it's a kitchen used, uh, reserved for the 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 household helpers to to work mm. in. Whereas there's a separate kitchen for the, the the owner of the of the house. And then you have expressions like, well, dirty kitchen, the, the dirty ice cream. Mm -hmm. Dirty ice cream is not dirty. It's actually very delicious. But that it's called dirty ice cream because it's doesn't have a brand, mm. you know. It, 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 it's sold. It's sold in the streets, like by by the hawkers. It doesn't have a brand. It's clean and it's very delicious ice cream. But it's it's and, like and it's lots. like it's like it's like home produced or it's it's self produced. Yes, exactly. It's not it's not branded, yeah. right? Okay. I suppose you call artisan artisan. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that's probably better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that, and, and and lots more. Um, um, I think the term um car napper. Car napper is, you know, like you have a kidnapper. Oh, someone who steals a car. Steals a car, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's lots actually. It's very interesting, and right, and, and even now, even now, when you ask me for what these Philippine English words are, I have to think twice because to me they're just English. They're not really Philippine English. Mm -hmm. It it will have to take another. A non-Filipino to 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 tell me that it's not the English that he normally. So like talking to you now, mm. I have to test if it's really Philippine English or not because I'm not sure if Carnapper is is American English or British because I use it very often. I'm remembering now uh, going to a session at uh, Jalt. I think in about two no probably about 2007 um, that was being held by Alistair Pennycook. And he was talking about the the, the, the Singaporean phrase handphone. Yeah. And you know, back in back in the, this is before smartphones, okay, kids. Um, and so it was just a, a phone that you know you would hold in your hand. And he was talking about how this was wrong. And he was he was challenged, you know, by one of the people in the in the audience saying, No, this is this is not wrong. This is this is just how it's done. And he said, I, I'm very sorry, I'm very sorry. I'm not saying that it I'm, wrong is the wrong word. Wrong is the incorrect word to it's just it's yeah. if, um, different. Yeah. And and so I think this is how and going back to the beginning of our conversation where we don't have as in French, we don't have l'Académie Française, we don't have the the Spanish school, we don't have any group of people who say this is or isn't English has allowed it to become kind of the de facto global language because no one ever says, no, 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 back up, 
you can't use that you can't say that and so yeah. it it comes down to and you, and you brought his name up earlier but someone who i quote a lot uh suresh kanagaraja about the idea it comes down to negotiation that yes. if there's if there's a word in the sentence that we don't know for example if i didn't know carnapper then you would say you know like kidnapper like someone who takes your yeah. car and then we go oh, okay we, we, we get it like so we, we we'd understand the, the the entirety of the sentence there'd be one word or one bit that we didn't quite get but but the negotiation helps us create that linguistic bond that you say something i ask exactly. you, you explain and then we like so again to to go back to a, a, another word that you you said i've always viewed english as a tool that allows people to communicate their ideas and there's no there's no one saying no you can't use that word or you yes. can't use that construction um and i think that reading your paper i think philippine english is, is a really good example of how it has integrated through history through culture through through the society and it's uh, and it's something that i'm uh, constantly uh, interested in so to finish our interview today what is it that you're working on now and what is it that you're hoping to to publish in the near future at the moment i i i, I still kind of like different because i also do work on forensic linguistics uh, which is language and law, language in the legal domain. And uh, that's one area I've been neglecting because, you know, you're a busy academic and you can only do so much in a year. Right now, there's a project I'm working with, with another colleague, another professor from another university. And it is, uh, it's really kind of like a monograph about the origins of uh, language and law studies in the Philippines. Uh, and and uh, because because I'm a social linguist, so that's a, that's really more my track you now when I do work. So I'm looking at language policy in that specific area. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, English will always come into play in uh, the legal domain in the Philippines. Mm. And that what I suppose the central argument that we will be making is that if we go on and just insist on English, you know, justice is not going to be served well because a large majority of Filipinos cannot access English in the mm. first place. And legal English is even worse. Mm. You know, so that, that's something that, um, oh, I wish I had time to work on a lot. I only have maybe two or three papers on that. Uh, I wish I had more time. But after this year, I'll be focusing more going back to language and law studies. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck in your uh in your future works and and anything that you would like to come back on the podcast to promote we'd be very happy to have you we've been speaking today with uh, dr isabel pefianco martin uh on her paper philippine english revisited thank you very much for your time today professor and i wish you the best of luck in the future thank you thank you very much chris i i had a i had a wonderful time in this podcast lost in citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, 
recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.